How does scale lead to better value for money? This week on the VFM podcast, we talk to Greg McClymont to find out. Welcome to episode five of the VFM podcast. Uh, I am delighted to be joined by a man today doing something that I, I bitterly, <laughs> bitterly regret. <laughs> I swore off many, many years ago. So he has my deepest sympathy, love, and of course, many happy returns of the day. It's Darren Philp. It's your birthday. Uh, happy birthday. Thank you very much, Nico. Thank you. Um, it's great to be in- joined by um, my friend, my fellow gooner, my fellow <laughs> budding p- pianist, uh, Nico Aspinall. Uh, we both share a love of pensions and value for money. And speaking of value for money, um, you bought me a cake. I did. Happy birthday. Do you, do you want to cut into it? Yeah, I will cut into it and I'll make, a, make wish a wish as I do this. Um, but while, I, while I'm actually doing that, um, we, you know, like, um, I'd get the rustle going to you know, so yeah, people yeah. can actually hear that we are actually cutting the cake. Um, eating life. Yeah, you know, you, you, your, your, your value for money stuff, Nico. Um, yeah, this cake's out of date. Oh, it's sold to me in good faith by Sainsbury's. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. No, that's, uh, that's great. It's, it's, it's much appreciated. And, you know, value for money on, on my birthday. What, what could be more? No, Greg, have a piece of cake. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, this week we are joined by Greg. Uh, Greg is Executive Director of Public Affairs at IFM. Obviously, IFM is uh, a pension funds owned infrastructure focused asset manager and your assets. So, obviously, it's Aussie Super Trusts um, uh, who have come together, and UK assets include Manchester and Stansted Airports and the M6 toll. Uh, and, Greg, you're a former Labour politician which was Shadow Pensions Minister 2011 to 2015, and you've edited several books on global pension systems, uh, and you believe that the UK can learn a lot from Australia and DC. Welcome aboard. Absolutely great to have you, Greg. Mm. Um, I was going to ask you, as your first question, actually, um, have you applied for Australian citizenship yet? <laughs> I haven't, but when you look, Darren, at the, the, the different trajectories of the economy, it becomes quite, <laughs> becomes quite attractive, doesn't it? It certainly does. Australia is a much wealthier country. Now than the UK, which and is quite an arresting thought. We should all take a leaf of, um, out of Andy Tarrant's book, shouldn't we? Um, <laughs> so I think when the Brexit vote um, happened, um, he was like, right, I'm getting um, is it Belgium citizenship or something. So, you know, to make sure he maintains his free movement, you know. Very wise. Oh, I've got a mouthful of cake. Uh, Darren, the other topic is how is Eric Sassy going? It's going okay. So um, obviously we've had an incredibly busy week with the package of yeah. uh, pension reforms that was announced at the beginning of the week by the pensions minister. So I haven't done as much practice as I would have hoped because I've obviously been focused on reading the consultations, which you know, um, of, of which there were a few. And is there um, any way that people can listen to a sort of edited digest of... <sighs> I, what I'm not going to do is I, I'm not confident enough yet to do a sort of a, 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 a you know a, a sort of a, 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 a gradual sort of improvement in my playing, but I will promise you that I will do an intro to the VFM podcast when I feel comfortable. Okay. I, I'm not going to commit a timetable or a date to that, but you know you, you, you've got it here. <laughs> um, so look, let's go straight into the news. 
Um, and what we do is give our, our guest uh, first dibs. So, yeah, Greg, what did you bring in for us this week? Yeah, I think there's nowhere else to go, really, is there, than the um, the various papers which the the UK government produced um, on you know a number of topics, as we know, value for money, and I think the removal of performance fees from uh, the DC auto enrollment charge cap, probably the uh, the most striking. Also, stuff as we know on collective DC and decumulation. But yeah, I think the the value for money stuff is is very interesting, and the paper itself. Um, is clearly inspired, not least by the the Australian DC system. Mm. So I think that's not a bad place to start. Yeah, great. Um, and uh, we're delighted to say that we've just recorded a VFN special. Uh, so this week you have two drops from us, um, and uh, probably it has already dropped if you're listening to this. Um, so uh, yeah, it will be available in exactly the same place as this. Yep. And uh, Darren and I talk through. Most of what we could glean in 48 hours from the, the uh, value for money consultation. But like right. the consultation, we probably had more questions than we did answers, didn't we? we? Yeah, well, <laughs> indeed. Um, so, yeah, my, my piece of news, and, and I should say, we're going to be talking about that consultation oh, for, for a long for time. weeks. That is basically grist to our mill. Um, so my piece of news is uh, on the uh, HMRC data shows pension freedoms over taxation bill. Uh, has neared a billion pounds. So uh, 45 million pounds repaid to individuals in 2022 alone. Uh, So Jonathan Stapleton and Professional Pensions uh, dropped that uh, last week. So yeah, it really shows, you know, that's the stuff that was reclaimed, right? Mm -hmm. So there must be huge, huge numbers in uh, the HMRC's coffers where individuals, you know, they've just not understood Essentially, you're put onto emergency tax yeah. as you withdraw from your your pension. So, you know, if you're in that circumstance and you're hearing this message, go and work out what tax you should have paid. You've probably paid more. Go and claim more. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And um, as a former Treasury official, I take no responsibility for freedom <laughs> and choice um, um, whatsoever. Um, so my my piece of news, Nico, um, again is is part of the package of reforms that got announced um, on Monday, like like Greg led off with. But they, but the DWP also produced uh, a report on pensions engagement and communications alongside the suite, um, which wasn't as well covered, but I mm. found it actually quite interesting. You know, shock horror. You know, the report finds that you know many people feel little to no ownership towards their towards their pensions. Um, and you know, I think that you know I, there is that detachment. People have a fear of pensions, mm. um, and I, it just shows how far the industry has to go mm. to be able to sort of communicate this stuff effectively. Um, and I think when we sort of talk about value for money and good outcomes and all of that type of stuff, I, I do think that you know this this piece of research is quite a nice jumping off point to to start the conversation of what behaviours do we want yeah, to see yeah, achieved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because we can all talk about good communication, but if we if we if we haven't sort of sorted out the why yeah. and the objective of it, of what we want to do, then we're never going to achieve that objective, are we? Yeah, yeah. And I and I think the consultation itself is quite interesting on uh, linking a lot of the service stuff to better outcomes for members. So you should put it into your value for money assessment if it's stuff that you believe will link to better outcomes, and you should not if it is not. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we're in an inertial system. Uh, a lot of the kind of engagement pieces kind of don't engage because it's inertia, right? Yeah. Um, 
And we may start to see some differentiation in terms of how people think about value for money, you know, publicly yeah. uh, on that front. So, yeah, interesting time. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, Greg, um, how did you get to where you got to? Like, you know, you're obviously, I think I called you a big beast of the pensions industry um, in a previous podcast. So you, you should have listened to them before to see how we sort of set you up on this. Um, but could you just sort of give us, um, a, a, you know, a quick um, overview of, um, you know, how you got into pensions and, and why you find, or, and why you're still in pensions, actually? Yeah, John, very, um, very simply, really, when I was a Labour politician, the, the pensions brief was thrust upon me <laughs> <coughs> out of thin air. Uh, before that, and that was a decade ago, not much more than a decade ago, uh, I, I knew as much about pensions and as much interest in pensions as you know, as your average person does, i.e. zero. Mm-hmm. I think oh, you, I, you could swap person for MP there, couldn't you, probably? MP yeah. person, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, are, they are people, honest, <laughs> honestly. And I've actually I've also always carried that with me mm. um, because... You know, spent um, more years of my life knowing nothing about pensions and not being interested in it uh, than the last decade being involved in it. And I, I guess that frames my, my views to some way. Yeah. So, yeah, it happened like that. Ed Miliband was the Labour leader. He asked me to take on the pensions brief. Um, and then you've got to learn about it. Mm. I remember spending many long days speaking to, you know, a very wide range of people in the pension industry at times having no idea, you know, what was being said to me in the early it, it, days. It never shows, Greg, it never uh, shows. Oh, I probably I kept quiet for six months, darling, <laughs> until I actually had gone back and written down all the terms and, and tried to understand them. Trivial. What's it? Yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> Do you remember when, um, I, think it was the, I think it was the first um, uh, PLSA, or it was probably NAPF at the time, a conference that you spoke at. Um, I think you jumped in the back of the cab with me and Patrick Heathley from when I was at People's, and we took you to the conference venue. And we were like, um, this is what you need to say, Greg. I can't remember whether you actually said it or not. But, you know. Well, it's changed now, Dan. I had, to, I had to do 40 minutes, if I remember rightly, including Q&A um, from, the, from the platform. And I'd, got, I'd taken on the pension brief five days before. <laughs> so, you know, filling out 40 minutes was a, you know, was a, was, was a challenge. But, of course, you learn from these things. Mm-hmm. And then you, um, you went from, you know, being an MP... Um, and I think it was, it was quite a golden era, wasn't it, in terms of the discussion and the debate that was going on in Parliament. Um, you know, I think your opposite number was Steve Webb at the time. And, you know, yes, you disagreed on some things, as, as all political parties do and stuff. But, you know, the, the quality of the debate and the thinking that was going in from both the Labour and Lib Dems, or the coalition, was, was actually quite powerful at that time. Yeah, I think in retrospect, <clears throat> it worked well for um, for pension policy that, there was a coalition. Mm. Um, I, I think if it had been a, a majority government, it might not have worked so well because um, there was that push to take on the auto-enrollment legislation, see it mm. through on the one side, and then, of course, the significant state pension reform that mm-hmm. um, you know Steve pushed through on the other. So, yeah, no, I think it was... It was uh, there, was always, there was always something material happening yeah. and probably... Yeah, it made us both better at what we were doing, perhaps. Yeah. And do you miss it? Yeah, I miss parts of it. Um, the thing about being a, an MP or politician is, uh, you know, the constraints on just arguing for what you think is the right thing from the public point of view are are pretty limited. Mm. They're limited to your own uh, party yeah. Yeah. saying, "Please, can you say less about that or more about?" Uh, uh, but nonetheless, you can really do your own thing. So yeah. it has yeah. big advantages. 
And of course, uh, the charge cap happened under under uh, the the regime that you were opposite, uh, and maybe with some pressure from you. Would you say? Yeah, Ed Miliband in twenty twelve Labour conference. One of the one that was one of his big themes in the early, in the early part of the conference, um, and I'm sure. I'm sure Steve and others have been thinking about it, but again, to that point, it probably made made both sides better. Uh-huh. There was a kind of there was a there was a to and fro, wasn't there? Mm. Um, and I think relevant to the v- VFM debate, of course, because the the starting point for for charge cap discussions really was that you you didn't have in in on the DC side uh, an optimal structure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it wasn't starting from scratch. That's one of the big differences with the Australian system, actually. That the Australians twenty five years ago started really from scratch. Yeah, yeah. They had a clean slate, more yeah, or less, yeah, yeah. and they were able to design a DC system which isn't without flaws, but driven by those big industry funds. You know, the yeah. sector wide pension funds has had a lot of success. The UK obviously started from a different place. There was lots of legacies, as we all know, yeah. from you know kind of retail, retail side workplace pensions, in particular, in, in subscale. Um, corporate schemes, so you're starting from a bit of a different place, and the argument certainly was then that to ensure value for money, you needed something like the charge cap. Yeah. Of course, the, the Office of Fair Trading, which has disappeared into the mists of time, produced a a very influential report, kind of 2013, mm. which was deeply critical. It was damning, yeah. wasn't it? Damning yeah. of the you know this is not a market that can deliver yeah. value for money, and the three of us know that yeah. markets and pensions stumble right away because of the information asymmetries. Yeah. So yeah. VFM is a way to try. And there's a tension, of course, always in the government documents. It talks about competition, Yeah. Um, for example. But, of course, all the all the push and value for money in the end derives from a view that it's not a market where yeah. the consumer's going to drive efficiency. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember reading the. I think the, the, the in the preface, the OFT essentially said this is the worst market <laughs> we have ever looked at, and yeah. it's comparing against some shockers. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and and but I mean, you know, how little has changed, right? So the structure of competition, um, you know, employers are just not in the loop, and the only thing the employer, you know, in aggregate seems to say is cheaper is better, um, and all of the kind of hallmarks of value of you want, what you might spend on it. Uh, kind of get washed out it seems like yeah um, so yeah we have to have trustees who are spending that cheaper as well as possible um, and maybe we'll see a bottom uh, to that curve of kind of ever reducing costs so you're um, you're getting ahead of yourself Mikko am I talking about value for money which is why we were here but you know I just wanted to you know, the final biographical bit is you love pensions so much Greg <laughs> that you decided to stay in the industry that's what. That's one way to. That's one way to, to describe it, Darren. When, when the voters rather uh, abruptly <laughs> sent sent me packing after after one term, uh, yeah, I fell into it. I guess I'd I'd spent a lot of time uh, speaking and engaging with um, with the industry. I remember the first time I met Nico, um, which I think was after that actually. But you know, you 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 meet people, and yeah, I fell into it. Mm. I fell into it. And you joined Aberdeen. Aberdeen. And, and, and you had huge shoes to fill at people's pensions. <laughs> I, I did. Literally, literally. And no fireplace. Yeah, yeah, no fireplace. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. It was, uh, yeah, and, you know, Aberdeen was different. It was an asset manager and it, it didn't, it didn't, you know, it didn't offer pensions. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was a bit different. And then, yeah, people's pension, 
we all three of us know it very well. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was that was a uh, really good fun as well. Yeah, yeah. it's a great organisation. Yeah. And um, I had a lot of fun there. And um, yeah, it's um, always good to be followed in a role by a former politician, which, yeah, is, which yeah, is great. Yeah. And then you joined IFM. I did, yeah. Um, and IFM is is pretty unusual as having become over twenty five years a very very large mm. infrastructure manager, one of the biggest globally, but being owned by pension funds. Mm. And I think when we look at the UK, you know, there's there's that push to um, to have DC funds invest in, in illiquids. It seemed to me for a while that the, the most plausible way of doing that is for them to come together in some sort of pool. Yeah. Mm. Um, and IFM offers a model for that. Now, yeah, look, there's things yeah. about the showing system, and we might have time to talk about this, which are probably not replicable. Critical is the fact that it very much came out of the trade union movement. Right. So you, ha- you had... Um, a collective ethos, which had a clear view and an understanding of the members, from an from an as trade union, yeah. um, you know, representing members, and you know that that's it's different in UK yeah. auto enrolment system, but certainly that that model of if you if you want to do a liquid investments and the key thing is to get value for money yeah. from the asset manager, yeah. why not set up your own asset manager yeah. and yeah. then the, then the scale which is critical. Yeah. The benefits of it go to you. Well, you have yeah. a seat at the table, don't you? You know, you, you, yeah. and you can influence the the structure of the contracts and all of that type of stuff. Whereas if you just do it uh, by yourselves, yeah, then you just don't have that buying power. Exactly, yeah. exactly, Dan. And when IFM started, it really, it it it, it transformed the the market. You know, we think of when when Nest was set up with that fifty basis points and and obviously the contribution charge, but the fifty yeah. and, and, and people's coming in similarly. What happened in the infrastructure space by IFM is they just did a their their charges were a lot lower, mm. yeah. and they could do that because they were pulling yeah. the funds together, and that created yeah. a different model. And it's gone from strength to strength. You know, there's probably 70, 75 UK pension funds yeah. now inside that inside that collective. Oh, right. I didn't as investors, yeah, lot, lots of LGPS funds, yeah. lots of corporate DB schemes. Um, so it's worked very well, and I think yeah, from when you think about unlisted, government's very interested in that value for money. Yeah, that model of Coming together, the UK yeah. funds and yeah. some sort of pool. Yeah, seems to. I think it's got some merits. Because obviously, I've thought uh, a lot about this as CIO of the People's Pension. It, it, it does structure me, stru- strike me that the structure of the UK market just makes it a bit harder. So essentially, you know, it has to involve Nest and TPP because they're the two biggest. Mm. Um, and then would Towers Watson would LNG join? They they have very different principles to Nest and TPP. And then you know there's a there's a whole bunch of five to two billion pound schemes that might well want to come along. But then do they actually have the voting rights? Do they have the, the staying power? Yeah. You know when you got two big beasts owning eighty percent of the assets possibly. Mm. Um, so did it, the Australian system essentially were all of those asset managers who came? Oh, sorry, all of the super funds who came together to create IFM were they all kind of on a level playing field in, in assets that they were committing at that time, or were they kind of? They were start. They were starting pretty much near the beginning, so yeah, there would be yeah. more. You're absolutely right. There would have been there would have been more or less a level playing field. Yeah. And over time, of course, that's there's been lots of consolidation. Yeah. So IFM. At one stage, had more than thirty owners. Yeah. If I remember rightly, now it's at nineteen. Yeah. Because of consolidation. But no, I, I absolutely agree with you. The the UK structure is is messier. Yeah. If that's the right way to describe it, and that does make it it more difficult for sure. Yeah. So let's turn to Australia. Um, uh, I, I think, think we've got to start off with our first question, where we ask all of our guests, <laughs> "What is value for money?" 
What does value for money mean to you? Yeah, yeah. For, for me, it's a. I think of it from the point of view in pensions of of governance. Actually, so we know that um, there are there are different routes to delivering value for money because, of course, pension schemes have different objectives. Yeah, mm. and therefore, it seems to me the key thing is getting the governance right defined and influenced by Nico on this actually defined in terms of actually what are the questions you ask yourself yeah. um, about what you're doing um, and is your decision making process robust enough um, that in everything you do you're, you're questioning and challenging yourself mm. um, and what are the questions you don't ask yourself I think that's the that's the other side that gets so lost if you understand strategically your priorities then there's a whole bunch of noise that you can just exclude but if you don't, then it just washes into your trusty board. Yeah, the old stra- strategies is much about what you don't do. Yeah, yeah. And I think actually, and this is where it'll be interesting on the VFM side, because actually the, the industry funds in Australia, you know, the dominant part of the of the system now, showing superannuation, um, very sceptical of the, of the benchmark approach which the Australian yeah. government's put in place. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the VFM paper talks quite a lot about um, about the my super reforms in Australia, but there's a big pushback from from the industry funds. And I say, full disclosure, a number of those are IFM's owners. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of benchmarks, um, firstly, the challenge, and this goes to the heart of the of the government's desire for unlisted, is that the benchmarks are, are based on listed assets. Right. Mm-hmm. Generally okay. speaking, and there's been a big pushback on that. So, how can you measure the value of unlisted assets mm-hmm. when you're not using um, a benchmark composed of, of unlisted assets, but more fundamentally, that the benchmark in, in my super is asset class by asset class. It's right. not total portfolio. Right. And I think we'd, the three of us, I think, would agree that, of course, the key thing, pretty well established now to um, investment performance, is asset allocation. Yeah. And that's where the biggest pushback has been, that an asset class by asset class does not does not capture the key thing, which is, oh, which is asset allocation. That. Yeah, so so essentially, I might have the best performing credit mandates, overload members with those credit mandates, and be great value for money, <coughs> despite the fact that I'm achieving three four percent less every single year on, based on assets in there. See, I knew you would be able to sum it up, <laughs> saving me from having to sum it up. That is it exactly. Yeah, scary. That is it exactly, and that there's been a big pushback in that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you've always been a big um, advocate of, of of strong governance as a, a way of driving mm. you know better outcomes and I, I, th- I think I'm right in saying is uh, that you know one of your policy positions when you were shadow pensions minister was you know all workplace pensions should have trustees and we've mm. obviously had um, the advent of IGCs I think that came during your time as, as well and stuff and um, do you still hold that view and uh, do you do you really think that that you know fiduciary duty needs to be sort of embedded to deliver those good outcomes I do given the information asymmetries that we you know it's well established that we individuals as pension savers slash customers yeah. are mostly disengaged <laughs> I think that's an understatement and therefore what what replaces you know replaces that uh, engagement and certainly in the Australian system uh, and I think this does matter a lot Nick Sherry the former Australian pensions minister will be familiar to some of your listeners he always says this that member first because every scheme is run by trustees. Now, that doesn't mean bad things don't happen. Yeah. The Royal Commission, a few years ago in Australia, found some very poor um, governance 
by um, for-profit yeah. providers. But of course, you then had the recourse via trust law. Yeah. Um, the challenge is, is um, you don't even have the recourse in the UK. Have you ever known an example of an individual member of a contract-based scheme successfully, you know, taking legal action? Well, it doesn't. No. It doesn't happen. So yeah, I still think that um, there's a lot to be said for for that approach. I will say, I mean, that things have got a lot better. I think it's worth noting um, that there's been a lot of improvements in UK DC in the last you know ten years. Yeah. Um, you know, via the charge cap and 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 quite a lot of political focus and the efforts of of people in the industry. You know, the the the, the charges have come down a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that's got that's got to be recognised. Of course it's implicitly recognised and now it's like the, the charges have come down too far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so I, I wouldn't want to gain see that improvement yeah. um across the industry. Um but nonetheless when we look at the, the auto enrollment system where it was created lest we forget and I know no one in this room would forget because the market wouldn't serve yeah. uneconomic from a commercial point of view mm. um, workers and therefore it has to be served by a different type of provider and I think that's still critical when yeah. we think about yeah. the, the yeah. whole system that's a cardinal fact yeah. and, and this was a game changer in that it wasn't just the introduction of auto enrolment but introducing a, you know, um, a scheme you know, it sort of almost set the standard with a public service obligation. You know, forced um, others within the market to sort of adapt and yeah. um, you know compete against Nest. And you know, I think um, I know from my time at Peebles, and I'm sure others um, and 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 that will recollect some of this stuff. It was a big commercial threat. Yeah. Yeah. And it was you know sharpen your pencils and and, and deliver better outcomes, or you know all the business is going to go to this this government created scheme. Mm. So mm. you know I think there was a lot of angst at the time, but you know hindsight, looking back on it, it changed the market. Yeah. And 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 we shouldn't forget, should we, Darren? How you know how big a um, a shift that was in mentality, if one could put it that, at a government level. Yeah. You know, the Treasury, as you know very well, you know, I'm a great admirer of Gordon Brown, but the, the Treasury, um, when Labour was creating auto-enrollment, was very, very sceptical. Yeah. And there'd be lots of reasons for that. One would be fiscal, but another one is kind of intervention with markets was, you know, was, was frowned upon. Mm. But pensions is just not a market, and there's just so much evidence. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It's not a market which functions like consumer markets. Yeah. Um, so no, no, I, I absolutely agree, and you, you see that I think that the the big question, and, and you mentioned at the beginning, Nico, is how far can you achieve VFM without scale? Yeah, that's the and that is the obvious thing when one looks at the UK DC system, certainly on the on the on the trustee and um, base scheme side. Yeah, yeah, I mean, is, I, is scale. I want to come back to the trustee governance point. Because um, my, my sense is twofold. So one is that if you tried to find the best arrangement, it would be a trust-based arrangement. If you tried to find the worst arrangement, it would also be a trust-based arrangement. Uh, so probably the possibility for a trust-based arrangement to deliver outcomes is the best. But it's also the least uh, you know, well-delivered pension system because all of the subscale sits in that <coughs> trust-based piece. So obviously there's a lot on consolidation. I think everybody's singing from that same hanging yeah. sheet, except for maybe the trustees and the employers in that you know small scheme world. Um, the other point is just around, I say, mutualization. 
and the conflict between provider owner and trustees. Because I, I think the most interesting thing about the Australian system is the sense that right at the top of the organisation are the trustees uh, and they're in the not-for-profit side. And then they are commissioners of administration services and they may have had them in-house or consolidate them and they are commissioners of investment services and IFM is sort of a part of that. So do you think there would be a moment in the UK when we would kind of reverse the tide of mutualisation or demutualisation that happened, you know, in with profits and, and, and life companies way back when, sort of before I joined the industry, really? Mm. Do you think that's a sort of... Is there is there a, is, is there a point where the value for money conversation realizes that Nest, which is essentially a kind of government-owned mutual, is a model which allows the trustees to deliver value for money, and others are conflicted, and it's just very difficult for them. Yeah, it's a very good question, isn't it? I think one way that 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 conversation might emerge is when actually the economics of serving yeah. um, the unserved part of the market become clearer mm. so you know nest has got the, the government loan and that you know enables it to serve that part of the market um you know people's big player in that market as well slightly different business model not least because it's you know it doesn't have a government uh, loan but I, I guess my question would be are the economics clear mm. of uh, is it a bit obscure at the moment yeah, yeah. so big success um, bringing 10 million people into pension saving, etc. Um, but we know that the, on the commercial side, they uh, only want to take on profitable business, inverted yeah. commas. Um, do we feel confident that the, the economics of serving uh, the uneconomic part of the market are clear in the debate currently? Yeah, I mean, I, and this is something we didn't get onto in the VFM special, which everybody should listen to. Um, it's on the, the same platform as this it one. Is. Um, is essentially, so amongst the disclosures of cost should surely be profit. You know, it, there's, there's, we were talking, so the, one of the things in the VFM consultation is the splitting out of investment costs and kind of other costs. Um, all netted, it's, listen to that to hear our thoughts. But, um, you know, my sense is that the next step surely is to say, okay, so, so what are you generating in profit? Because it amazed me, and I'm not going to name names on this moment, um, that uh, various providers who are essentially private equity financed for their losses would be able to be authorised as master trusts. Mm. Because if you do the old regulatory arbitrage conversation between life companies, they've got 20% roughly shareholder capital backing all of their future losses. And if they want to go and put 30% against it and go and buy the market, they absolutely can. Yep. But if you're dependent on raising next time, next time, next time against private equity money to back losses, then I would have it, I would have thought that TPR would have been more concerned about that. And it did surprise me that they that was sort of not a part of the consideration. Mm -hmm. um, so essentially you need to have this sort of living will reserves, yeah. but obviously that's getting burnt through. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're kind of on this never-never model. So there's definitely some unprofitable parts of the market. I think you will find that they're the ones who are cheapest and are trying to buy the market. And actually, maybe we would have better uh, discussion about what an appropriate level of cost is if that became clearer, if providers were starting to talk about profit, started to talk about break-even points. In what year are you going to break even? Um, I think that would be a richer conversation for the industry. And it has to be at the at the product level of, on this, doesn't it? Or yeah. the scheme level. 
what it can't be is it can't be at the organisation level because otherwise you know you yep. can hide all sorts of things in cross subsidies and all of and cross accounting and all well, that type of stuff. I think uh, you and I uh, have pulled our hair out at wondering which member is profitable in certain schemes, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, not today, but over the lifetime of that member. Yeah. Um, and it's absolutely right that there are cross subsidies in pensions. Uh, because this is auto enrolments and, and people have to be put into it's some scheme. By nature, it is collective. It? But there must also be, you know, the private equity market, the venture capital market has collapsed. So are a number of the schemes, the master trusts, under threat because their next raising will not raise as much as they anticipated? That surely must be sat somewhere in the mind of the regulator. And ultimately, the solution has to be mutualization, I think, mm. where, yeah, you know, pay them off, pay that as an asset in the, the default. Um, invest in it and and make it into a profitable business. And we know, of course, rounding that out, the you know the Turner Commission was very keen on just having mm. <laughs> a single provider, national pension savings scheme. Wasn't yeah. it? Well, then the PSA or the NAPF responded and said, no, don't have one. Have like six super, licensed super, super funds. Or they super were going to call them yeah. super, yeah. 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 Um, which I liked. I thought that was a. But that's all gone now, right? So yes. we, we are where we are. Yeah. Um, I'm going to drag you back to VFM, Nico. Me. Yeah, yeah. So, Nick, um, Greg, we, um, we we obviously read the documents in full. Um, so, I was interested in your comments on page twenty, paragraph. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. It's yeah, it's the chart. Um, Johnny, you know, <laughs> well, um, you know, what what was your take from what the DWP um, are trying to achieve with this this consultation? Um, do you think it raises more questions than answers? Do you think the direction of travel is right? What's your sort of overall take on um, the the document that came out on Monday? Yeah, I think the big challenge with, with with VFM is, of course, unintended consequences from from any metric. So we're not at the metrics the metric stage. Um, you know, I mentioned a moment ago the the the, uh, the disquiet in Australia around a, yeah. an asset class by asset yeah. class approach. So when you get into the, the actual metrics, which you know they aren't at that stage yet, um, you know there clearly are dangers. Herding is an obvious one. Right, you've got lots of practical decisions you have to make about how, you know, what's the time frame, what's the penalty, yeah, uh, and so on and so forth, and of course the the, um, the DWP knows that scale matters. You know, it's yeah. all across the documents, right? Um, but one does, I think the question one might ask ask is, can you achieve VFM without scale? I think DWP probably say, we agree you can't. We're trying to do yeah. at the same time. You know, the, the current approach of schemes under 100 million, that's not going to take you very far in terms of forcing them to consolidate. Yeah. I think the previous pensions minister, uh, Guy Opperman, went on the record, didn't he say he wanted to, to go further than, mm. than 100 million? But that's the thing that really strikes you when you look at the UK now. That, you know, things have improved a lot, for the reason we discussed. There's just far too many. Far, Still too many, yeah. Far, far, too many, far too many schemes. Yeah. And then there's the trustee issue, to Nico's point. Yeah. Oh, you know... There is, there is scale in, on the commercial side, yeah. um, but the, all the benefits of that scale go to the members. Is the, so yeah. I, I suppose over time, though, we have seen, and I think you mentioned yourself, Greg, that you know a lot has happened in the past ten years, and you know we're in a different marketplace than we were ten years ago. Yeah. And um, you know on the trust based side, you've obviously got all, master trust authorization and all that, which sort of raise standards in that sector. You know, um, introduce capital requirements and all of that type of stuff. Um, and obviously on the contract-based side, you've had IGCs. So, you know, um, it's very difficult to sort of 
demonstrate graphically on a podcast, but you know, I've got my left hand up and I've got my right hand up, <laughs> and, and I'm stretching out wide at the moment. Oh, left and right, but, okay. But, yeah. but, but, but actually, um, you know, they, they've come a lot closer together. Yeah. yeah. And um, we were talking on the VFM special that, you know, is there a case for a single regulator in pensions on this stuff? Because, you know, ultimately. For, for, for DC workplace. For, for DC yeah. workplace, yeah. 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 Um, because, you know, and, 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 and should all of the structures of this stuff be the same? Yeah. You know, that's that, that 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 seems to me to becoming more of a logical conclusion of of where this stuff is ending up. No, I mean, the single regulator, as we as we know very well, don't we? It's been a, a long standing debate. Logically, it makes sense. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the Dutch are the the Dutch system, of course, biggest pension fund system in Europe by some distance. The central bank there is a regulator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, of course, in Denmark as well, I think. So. Yeah. Central banks have got yeah. muscle. Yeah. Right. I mean, the the, the, the authority is very important. Yeah. And certainly in the, in the Dutch system, and take a point in the Danish system, Nico. Um, you know, I'm not suggesting the central bank does it here, but it's worth thinking about how do you, how does one think about having a regulator mm. which, you know, is 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 equipped across the board. Yeah. yeah. Across the board for the, the task, but that DB workplace, DC workplace, absolutely, it's a different system, right? Yeah. From yeah. yeah. Well, we've got two distracted regulators. Um, I, you know, you say one, I say three, right? I, I think we need a third undistracted regulator. FCA for retail and markets. TPR is the gatekeeper of the PPF and a DC regulator. That would be my, my pitch. But I think we're too radical. I think, you know, we have to realise just the momentum behind politics. And, and Greg, you're, you'll obviously be able to school us in, in loads of that. Um, and then also the vested interest, right? I mean, just the lobbying of the powerful in the city who have retail products that you know work mm. right and and they're using them in workplace uh just the big beast that we've created in various various places you know loads of people resist this right yeah and i suppose um you know just the central bank point Greg, mm. is really interesting and you know we've just been through um you know their ldi crisis and all of that which yeah. you know caused the bank of england to sort of and the pra to, to sort of step up and think oh blimey you know, this pension system you know can have big impacts on that can't it so you know it'd be interesting to see how yeah. some of the regulatory conversations stem out from something that's nothing to do with workplace dc yeah but actually you know there's big money in this and you know things can go wrong and i think a segue from that darren you know the big money point um takes one into the the wider debate around unlisted and, and investment yeah. in liquids. Yeah, yeah. The government, of course, is very keen on that. Um, and, you know, parts of the, a lot of the industry sceptical, pension side, worried about being told what to do, their jobs to deliver for members, uh, rightly. But that won't go away in the sense that the, you know, if you're the government of whatever hue, you take the view that there's been masses of pensions tax relief over many decades yeah, yeah. and therefore you know the taxpayer has a stake in mm. you know in this uh, in this sector and wherever you look in if you look in the eu as well you know this this um appetite if that's the right word for greater investment by institutional investors in growth assets mm. is is really striking yeah so I don't think we should expect that to go away. And actually, even uh, the Labour Party's startup review, which came out before Christmas, which um, Jim O'Neill 
the ex-Goldman Sachs chief economist who's in the House of Lords um, um, headed again it was it was talking about you know the absolute need for getting more capital into yeah. into those sectors of the economy yeah. and we know that's a priority for the UK how does it grow yeah. given its dire productivity and, and poor growth yeah. So I don't think in the pensions world we should expect that that will disappear. But the no. central banks, sorry, the central banks, sort of, let's say around Europe, have been charged with the climate change stuff as well. Mm. And so I do think it would be a really interesting place for the regulation of workplace to land on the basis that, you know, I think rather than talking about productive assets or productive finance or whatever it's talking about, you're most likely to going to be talking about climate risk and climate opportunities would, would be my sense if you bring it into the, the bank. Um, does that we need to wrap up? Well, we, we, we're getting to that point. Yeah. Like time does fly when you're um, when you're having fun. I just I just wanted to pick up something on the liquids and infrastructure point, and and this this is obviously close to your heart in your current role and IFM and stuff. So, you know, like it, it's it's something that polarizes views actually. Yeah, and 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 I think that you know part of what we need to do is to make sure that the products are right. Yeah, um, for their pension funds to get comfortable with. Yeah, trying to get them to you know do the government's bidding and just invest in infrastructure or whatever that isn't structured in the right way. I totally get why trustees and schemes are saying, oh, well, don't quite fancy this. Yeah. yeah. But this is where scale again comes into this, doesn't it, Greg? Because ultimately, if you can get groups of people together, if you can create that scale, you're, you're, you can steer the conversation. You know, you can you can go to the market with a proposition yeah. and say, we will invest on these terms. So you become a price maker rather than just a simple price taker is that so I, that's certainly the naivety the uk government has but when you go and talk to a hedge fund at two and twenty or a private equity at two and twenty and I, I i'm sure ifm has got different motivations right um then they go there's a world full of capital we've got dry powder we're much more worried about dry powder than than uh, you know raising finance yeah. if you want to get involved in this it's two and twenty right um, and so we sit here and are, you know, the other thing I was going to say about the Bank of England, the reason the Bank of England got involved in the guilt crisis is because it was affecting the world banking system, yeah. not because they cared about DB pension <laughs> savers, right? Um, and I, I, I don't think you'll find that they care enough about DC pension savers to actually do anything. But if they will care about climate change enough to do something, mm. would be my sense. The exception, of course, is, you know, Nest has gone into private equity. Mm. Um, that, that deal with Schroeder's... Um, but of course they are there's a danger in conversations the nest are unique for lots of reasons yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think that there's that, that separation Darren you know the, the, the unlisted and the liquids is the terms are, are thrown out yeah. when factually it's, it's different asset classes yeah. underneath yeah. the government often doesn't make that distinction infrastructure I mean there's a lot yeah. of infrastructure yeah. investing going on uh, IFM has, has just partnered with GLL the platform for for local government pension schemes uh -huh. on the M6 toll road so, so GLL's taken a 25% stake, IFM still on 75% in the M6 toll. Yeah. Um, you know, GLL's invested in, in in other things as well, you know, rolling stock and water yeah, companies right, and right. so on. And um, so I think it, it, in infrastructure is already happening. The challenge in infrastructure is actual projects. Yeah. yeah. In the UK, play. the market's like exactly done. The market's secondaries, really. Yeah. It's yeah. a secondaries market. I mean, you speak to infrastructure specialists and in the, in the, the challenge is that uh, there's lots of talk at the at the the, the political level around we want yeah. to do this and that, but actual investable projects, yeah. it's mostly a secondaries market. Yeah. Private equity and growth equity and VC are different types of yeah. markets. 
and you definitely need, this brings you back to scale and the sense you need to know what you're doing yeah, yeah, right? yeah. it's you know the I mentioned the Canadian funds because their system their overall system is patchy but obviously those big Canadian public sector funds um, they're investing across the whole gamut yeah. of, of asset classes and they're very big and very expert mm, mm-hmm. and I think that's a challenge we know USS does it as well right yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I would say there's lots of different things, but scale does matter. Yeah. If you want to play in these spaces, scale really matters. One final quick question. Where do you think, what is what is the ultimate destination where we don't worry about scale anymore? I mean, is it 10 billion, 50 billion, 100 billion more? Where where, where do we kind of drop scale off the, regi- the radar? Yeah, that's a good question, Nico. I, I mean, it's a bit finger in the ear, isn't it? It's a bit like, you know, when you see it, but I would say 20 billion gets oh. you starting the... the uh, starting to be able to think seriously, mm-hmm. I I would say. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's not a cottage industry. You know, mm-hmm. pensions is not a cottage cottage industry. The big funds have a big advantage. I've read stuff you keep significant UK pension funds saying, look, we get outbid as well. Yeah. Because it's a it's a global market, and you know these investors are bringing yeah big money to the table. So I think yeah, scale really important. Great. Well, that's all we've got time for. It is I all think. we've got time for. We've so, Greg, been... thank you so much. Thank you, Greg. Um, we've just got to do a couple of announcements. Of course we do. Um, so, very massive thanks to um, the DG Publishing team. Absolutely. Um, it's great to sort of have use of their pod and, and stuff like that, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, they're currently working up um, the agenda and the programme for the Responsible Investment Summit um, that we've talked about a bit on this podcast so far, yeah. and that's on the 23rd of March. Um, that covers public sector schemes, private sector schemes, right across the piece. Um, got a good lineup of speakers. Um, Including me. Well, yeah, well. You know. <laughs> it's at London anyway, Zoo as well. And it's at London Zoo, so <laughs> you know, do, my do, do, do sign out, up for that. And it's and it's great to have the support of um, DG Publishing in um, providing us a venue um, for this podcast. Yeah, and lots of great events you can find on their website. Exactly, exactly. Um, do, do email into us, uh, vfmpensions at gmail. Dot com if you want to appear on the show or if you've got any questions or if you disagree with what Nico says. Um, <laughs> and what you, you say. Know, well, yeah. um, and, you know, do keep supporting and, yeah. you know, liking, sharing, following and all of that type of stuff. So um, next week we'll be talking to Henry Tapper. We are talking to Henry Tapper. Um, and uh, he would like you to know that there is the pensions playpen at uh, 10... 10.30? 10.30 on the 7th. On the, which is Tuesday. Where, um, we shouldn't promote this really, because it's almost like the rival Value for Money show. Is oh, it? he but, thinks but, so. Yeah. But, you know. uh, but, but, you know, <laughs> 10.30 on the 7th, uh, Pensions Playpen. Um, I think they've got Des Healy from DWP. Yes. Um, giving an overview of the consultation documents and stuff. So, you know, and we do, look forward do, to speaking to Henry next week. We do, and we'll, we'll ask him for views on, 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 on and he on will that. give them. Yeah. And, and, and just to sort of reassure our listeners, um, we have been busily munching the cake, and even though it was out of date, uh, thanks, Nico. <laughs> it's um, delightful, isn't it? It's, 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 it's actually quite good. <laughs> yeah. you know, um, so don't get put off by buying if we're off next week from Sainsbury's. So, Greg, thank you very much. Yeah, Always so good much. to um, catch up and Absolute see you. Absolute pleasure. Um, and yeah, um, till next time. See you next week.